0: May he be glorified. Grab a Bible. We are going to be in the book of Hebrews this morning. So Hebrews chapter 9 is where you're going to be wanting to head to in a copy of the scriptures. Uh, we're in between our study. We finished up 1 John and kind of just felt, you know, in the midst of it being the, the fall feast happening this week. We'll talk more about that in a moment. It was a good space for us to pause and do this. So today is a special message. And, and so we're going to be taking that out of Hebrews chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front of you. You can grab one of those and open that up so you can join us there. We'd invite you to do that. We're going to use an electronic device so you can follow along. That works as well. One way or another, have the Bible open so that God would speak to you through his word. If you're joining us in the overflow or online, same thing. Grab the scriptures open it up so that God would take his word and make it alive to you this morning. It's what we're longing for. It is what we just recognize the need for. So I'm going to lead us in prayer asking that God would speak to us through his word. And I'm just inviting you to pray with me, just that we'd ask that God would open up our hearts to hear what he has to say to us from the Bibles that we have open before us. Let's ask him for that. God, right now, Bible's open. Longing to hear, longing to see. Recognizing right now, though, that this is your word. Filled with potential, power, because your word. You say your word changes, transforms, can do incredible things through us. And yet, Lord, how needed it is for us to hear that. I know your word is powerful. I know you are good. Therefore, in a simple way, I know the thing that would mess this morning up, that would rob us, Isn't you or your word, it's us. It's that our hearts would be hardened, our ears closed, just things distracting, Lord. I think about just the the parable of the soils, Jesus, that you gave that said that in so many ways it's the condition of our heart receiving your word that so often just determines where it's going to go. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear from you this morning? Would you soften that? Anything that's causing us to be distant, hard? Shallow, distracted, help. Make it so that right now, your word, your word, would speak into our lives. God, I'm asking for you to do that in your power. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once for all, our king has paid it all. Yeah, you and I just sang that this morning, but it's exactly where we are in Hebrews 9. Would you notice it with me, if you have your Bibles open, as we have encourage you to do so, there in verse 28, the last verse there of the chapter, he says it this way. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Pause there. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Yeah, hear that. That's really what Hebrews 9 is about. Hebrews 9 and 10 are celebrating the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the incredible impact the cross does for us, accomplishing what nothing else and nobody else could accomplish. In fact, go on down as it keeps talking about it. It says it this way in verse 3, but in those sacrifices, speaking of the Old Testament sacrifices, the sacrifices that were in place at that time, he says, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Like, it couldn't do that, couldn't accomplish that. But it goes on and says it this way in verse 9. But he says, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he could establish the second. That we who have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus once for all like christ came and accomplished that God is the one that that does that keep reading verse 12 but this man after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right hand of god from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified one sacrifice forever. What Christ has accomplished is worthy of your note, worthy of understanding what, we, what we've just tried to sing, that Jesus really did pay it all. That, that right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, he didn't just pay part of it, he paid everything. By one sacrifice forever, he has paid the price of our sins. That is such really, really good news. So much needing, so much a part of that, so much out of that holding that reality. Go back to the verse we're covering specifically this morning there at the end of chapter 9, verse 28. It says, "...so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation." So that's what we want to think about for a few moments. We think about this incredible reality that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, but to those who eagerly wait for him, he is going to come again. He is going to appear a second time, not to deal with sin because that's done, but to complete, to take us home, to complete the work of salvation in our lives. And that's the reality that we want to think through. Now, in that reality, I call your attention to what he says is the right anticipation of that. He says that those who eagerly wait for him to appear, those who eagerly wait for him. Yeah, and all we want to talk about this morning, I want to talk to you about what that looks like. I want to talk to you about that I would long that that be an accurate description of your heart and where it needs to change this morning that God would shift that. Well, before we talk about that, let's pause and again, just highlight why uh, we're doing this, like why this message today. Well, this week is ha, begins three celebrations, Old Testament celebrations, feasts that take place on the calendar. One of them starts tomorrow, and it's the Feast of Trumpets on September 26th. Then next week is the Day of Atonement, then the week after is the Feast of Tabernacles, and it's because we're right at the cusp of that, because we're just entering into that, it seemed both good and wise for us to pause this morning and think that through. Now, here's what I know. I know that for some of you, you've been with us for a while. We do this. We do this a couple times a year, two, three times a year, so you like are already know what I'm about to say, but it's worth just hearing again. For someone else, this is brand new, and so just track with me for a moment that God prescribes into the life of his people under the Old Testament, seven feasts, seven annual celebrations that were meant to be in the life of his people. Now, that's just good to think through for a moment. There's a rhythm that is a biblical rhythm that's worth our attention. Now, we have rhythms. Uh, we have things that are mark our year. I don't know what marks your year, I don't know where where you would look at it and say, hey, these are huge things. Maybe for some of you it's like Christmas, and maybe it's like 4th of July, or maybe it's different places. Like, hey, these are big, you know, just pillar places that kind of every year they mark, you know, how we work through the year. That's great. It's not a bad thing, but neither are those rooted in Scripture. No, the reality is that God in Scripture, in the Old Testament, He gave seven. He gave seven feasts that were worth, you know, just understanding their flow into the year. Now, you might be listening to me and saying, well, Jim, I'm kind of listening to you, but at the same moment, I, I, I understand at least enough to know that we're not under those, right? I mean, the sacrifices, the Old Testament, the, the offerings, you know, we don't do those things, right? I mean, so does this really have anything to do with you and me? Well, in a very simple way, absolutely yes. The key thing is it's always about Jesus, everything in Scripture has a line that takes you to Christ. Jesus said, even speaking of the Old Testament Scriptures, that you search the Scriptures and them you think you have life, but these are that which are testifying. These are that that are pointing to me. So one of the great keys of Bible study is always say, how did I get to Jesus from here? Like, what is is this showing me about Jesus? And that is incredibly true when we think about these feasts that are a part of the the celebration for the Jews and, and, and the picture that they are of us for Christ. So as we think about those things, let's think about it this way. So we have seven feasts, and if we were to look at 2022, we would look at the calendar when each one of those celebrations took part and are a part of the calendar year. Now, seven, yes, but if you're paying attention, or if you've walked with us through it before, or just are a student of the scriptures, you will also know that God even simplifies with it a little bit more. That though there are seven, they really move in three movements, three big movements. The first take place in the matter of about five days uh, that you have the Passover and the Feast of First Fruits. Then uh, a month and a half later, you get Pentecost, and then into the fall where we are, you get three feasts that take place really rapidly in a two-week period of time, and so they are grouped together today and often called the fall feasts, but God actually again groups them together, so when he's prescribing this in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 23, he says it this way three times, you shall keep a feast to me in the year, and I just want to just pause and say it's like that, because it's for me, Three times a year, three times a year, I want you to, to stop, and I want you to focus, and I want you to have a feast. He says, I want that to happen. And again, he takes those seven feasts and locks them into three big categories, three big spaces, and then he defines them. So he tells us, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread, the feast of harvest, the feast of ingathering. Those are his definitions. Just make sure they just land for you for a moment. There's the feast of unleavened bread, feast of harvest, feast of ingathering. Those are the three words that we kind of want to see. And so we go back to our list of seven and understand that, again, you could put those over those seven so that you have the feast of unleavened bread, feast of harvest, feast of ingathering. Let's quickly understand that these, again, become so significant because it's all about Jesus, because it's all about Jesus, So when we think about the Passover and we think about what it looks like, it's Jesus who dies on the cross who becomes what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians is he's our Passover lamb. He's the one that takes away sin for us. He's the one that died on the cross fulfilling every foreshadowing out of the Old Testament that would be that. He is the one that does that, that leads to the the next day, which is this picture of sin being defeated and, and that being undone. And that draws us to that Sunday morning uh, that is the feast of first fruits when Jesus became the first fruits, where He became the first one to be resurrected from the dead, so that we would follow after that. And He literally fulfills everything that's there. Now, those are really, really powerful. But it's good, just again, to kind of note the words. Again, I've given this to you guys in times past, and uh, I'm not apologizing for that. I think that some senses there's because of its normalcy, because you could hear it. I want it just to be like, yes, I know that. So again, just taking the definition of the word, that it's a feast of unleavened bread. You would look at at what unleavened bread is, and you would hopefully understand that leaven all the time in the scripture is a type of sin. So if you put the word un before it, the idea of opposite or the idea of removal or reversal, it would be telling us that those three feasts, this feast of unleavened bread, is where sin is undone. Were sin and all that it is is defeated, and it was it was in Christ. That's what we just sang, right? And that's the, how our, our as, as we think about Jesus telling us there, uh, he was telling us that Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. I mean, that's what we get to celebrate. That he came and undid sin. He came and paid the entire price so that nothing would ever ever be needed to add to it. All that becomes a celebration of what we would call Jesus's first coming. So really, really good news. I mean, it's worth, you know, pausing and seeing that. And we usually do. I mean, that's Easter. That's the celebration. You pause and say, yes, thank you, Jesus, for all that you did. Well, go ahead about a month and a half. You get to the Feast of Pentecost. Some of you were here then. We talked about that then. We also paused and saw this at that moment. But the Feast of Pentecost really is a celebration of the church. It's a celebration that begins in the book of Acts that begins in in Acts chapter two, where the Holy Spirit is poured out and God begins drawing people to himself from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's a picture of what Jesus is doing now. That in one sense, if you could think about it almost on an eternal calendar, that's the feast that you and I are still a part of because we're still in a season that God is saving people, where he is drawing people, literally in every tribe, tongue, and nation to him. It's an incredibly good season to be a part of and that's where we are. But that takes us to the fall feasts that take place this week, beginning this week. And they are these feasts of gathering that picture the rapture, the second coming, and heaven. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But it's enough for us just to look upon it and say, everything that these are, are what we would often call Jesus's second coming. Like everything that we are yet looking forward to. Now, I like that. That's a good definition. But I still want to stick with God's definition. I still want to say, okay, that might work for us so that we get the vernacular right, but God gave a definition of these three feasts and he used the word in gathering. So it's worth us just again pausing and just gazing into the word in gathering. Not a complicated word, honestly. Gathering to in gather is to gather in. It's to take something in and you're bringing it in. You're taking that which is out and you're saying, I'm gonna gather it in. So it becomes this picture of assembling, of collecting, of bringing together in a very simple way. It's a reminder that Jesus is coming to gather us and take us home, that he is gonna gather us and bring us back. And it's a celebration of all that that is. And that's again, what we're thinking through. That's what our verse is talking about. As we think about it there in Hebrews 9, tells us so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. For salvation, well, again, catch it. It's not from sin. When Jesus comes back the the next time, he's not coming to deal with sin. That's already being done. It is for salvation. And don't read that word like salvation from sin. It's salvation from the world. He's coming to take us home. He's coming to, to, to rescue us and bring us back. I mean, that's the expectation that you and I are meant to have. And so we think about everything that this is and that's what makes really understanding the, the biblical calendar worth your understanding. It's why we do it, you know, we, we do this. Three times a year probably for us, you know, Pentecost, somewhere in the, in, the, in the Easter time and somewhere in the fall, we almost always stop whatever we're doing, whatever series we're in, and we'll take a Sunday and talk about it. But again, here's the reason why. It is just good for us to pause and orient ourselves into the story of God, into the story of the world, into the big story that God is doing, and the big story is all about Jesus. The big story is that God so loved the world that he gave his son to die on the cross. That's his first coming. The big story is that God is loving this world and saving people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. That's a big story. And, and he's coming back to take us home. So it's good for us just to, to pause and see the big story to kind of like, yes, this is what everything's about, but also to orient ourselves in it. To kind of say, okay, I see where I am. <laughs> I see the price has been paid we are in the harvest, this is what's coming, this is what's coming, so as we think about that, again, that's what we want to talk about, just for a quick moment, won't spend a bunch of time on it, but we think about these uh, feasts that are before us in the next two weeks, I want to just quickly give you a rundown of them, and I just want to tell you it's quick, Um, we have done so in greater detail before, I think last year we did, Uh, Last year we spent three Sundays on it, and and so if you want to go back and get those on our YouTube or wherever, you can go back and get it, or you can go deeper, because there's so much more than we even have ever dived into. There's so many incredible pictures behind this, but it's enough for us just to get a thumbnail sketch for us this morning. So the Feast of Trumpets is the first one. That is really, you know, what's taking place tomorrow on the calendar, When we think about the Feast of Trumpets, i just put it to you this way. You're going to have a Bible bookmark that we passed out this morning. And you'll notice on the Bible reading for tomorrow, we pause in the daily reading, encouraging you to read 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 again. This is why. So we make that the focus. Uh, the Feast of Trumpets is known uh, often as Rosh Hashanah. If you have a calendar and you see it there, it would say that, which is really the head of the year. It's really a beginning of a, of a new kind of a spiritual year for the Jews. It's a really fun thing. I mean, I won't even go into all the details. Really, really cool stuff there for those who want to go deeper in it. But ultimately, it is this picture of the, the rapture of Jesus gathering his church, that the Feast of Trumpets becomes this interesting feast that unlike any of the other feasts is not as clearly explained anywhere in the Bible. Uh, in, in the Old Testament. I mean, they have traditions as to why they do it, but ultimately for us, it becomes this picture of that, which the Bible says was a mystery, that, that God was going to come and, and gather us together to him, what we would often call the rapture. Now, in that, if you do that reading tomorrow, you'll get to read there in 1 Thessalonians 4. I'll just give you a couple previews of the, of the, of the verses, He says, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Quick FYI, the idea of asleep is a picture of Christians who died. It's not soul sleep uh, because we know exactly what, you know, the Bible says to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. But it becomes almost this gracious description that death is too harsh of a term for a Christian. So Paul kind of uses this term only for believers. It's like they're asleep. <laughs> you know, they're just asleep. And so we're talking about there there are going to be the believers who die and obviously there has been over the last 2000 years. But there's going to be a group of people. There's going to be believers that are alive. When Jesus comes back. He says there's going to be a group of people who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, that they're going to be alive until that moment. He tells us at that moment, the Lord himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Yeah, he's going to come back, and believers who have died, they're going to rise, and, and at that moment, there's going to be this incredible gathering, but it's worth just noting that it's got this trumpet of God, and without just spending too much time on it, it's called the Feast of Trumpets. It's called the Feast of Trumpets tomorrow, because it's God just trumpeting, declaring, declaring, hey, it's time. It's, it's time for this whole thing to happen. It says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, that all of those who are alive are going to meet Jesus in the air. And then everybody who's gone ahead of us, they're going to come back. We're going to meet them together in the clouds. We're always going to be with Jesus from that point forward. Incredibly good news. Now, in the midst of it, it's worth kind of catching the word because it says that we're going to be caught up together. Just draw you to those words there in the English language, and it's worth just kind of highlighting that because of this, I do believe in what we're talking about and what's called the rapture of the church, Jesus coming back for us, but not every Christian believes that. Uh, this isn't one of those things that's going to you know, make you unsaved if you don't believe it. You'll just be wrong. I'm just... <laughs> Um, but at the same moment, again, you're just kind of just in, in the midst of it. Some people say, well, Jim, I looked it up. I, I, I looked it up and there, the word rapture isn't anywhere in the, church, in the Bible. And that's true. If you do a search in, your, in, your, in a Bible app or something for the word rapture, that English word rapture is nowhere in the scripture. But if you were to read a different version, if you were to read uh, the Greek, you would find that word is harpazo, this, this idea that that pulling away. If you were to read it in the Latin Bible, which was the primary scripture for generations, for hundreds of years, it's the, Greek, the, the, sorry, the Latin word rapier, which is where we got the word rapture. Now, the word rapture comes out of this, comes from the Latin, comes from this idea. So I just want to tell you, actually the word rapture is in the Bible. You just got to read Latin, you know, so, but if you don't read Latin, then you could just say, okay, it's this, and so maybe you're like, well, Jim, I I don't really like that, I just, I wish we just, you know, the word rapture isn't there, okay, call it the great catch, you know, or great snatch, or it's either way, but it's one way or another, Jesus is taking us into the clouds, he is taking us home, and however you want to term that, I want to tell you that day is coming, That day is coming, and that's exactly what we're supposed to be thinking about. I put to you that as we think about Rosh Hashanah tomorrow, it's something that is supposed to be a reality that's there. Now, I want to say this as carefully as I can. I am fully aware that Jesus tells us nobody knows the day or the hour. So I realize, and I believe it, that Jesus can come back any day. Uh, there's never a day that's like, no, not today. I mean, I, I really do believe that he could come back any day. There's nothing uh, biblically on the calendar and the prophetic calendar that has to happen before Jesus is raptured. So every single day of the year, it is right to wonder that Jesus could come back that day. That said, when we get to Rosh Hashanah, I'm always a little bit more Um, just like, what if it's today, you know, I mean, it's like, uh, because he did actually, you know, do a lot of the other things he did exactly on the day, you know, he, on the feast of Passover, he literally died on the cross, and so it would, you know, when it happens, I find myself there, and just to kind of increase that a little bit, so for you and I, um, the the feast of trumpets will take place at midnight tonight, right, that's when our days change, Uh, you know, 12.01 tonight, that will happen. It's not really the way the Jews do it. Uh, The Jews, you know, taking it out of Genesis, they really believe that a day begins at night. And so for them, a day begins at sundown. Now, I don't know, you know, what what timeline Jesus is going to use when he comes back, but it's maybe likely that he would use, you know, Jerusalem's timeline. So here's what I want you to know. The Feast of Trumpets started two hours ago. Uh, it started, it it is nine hours ahead in Israel sundown just happened in the midst of that. And so now we find ourselves into this space where we get to say, oh, it's right now. So here's where I am. I mean, here's where I get to be right here this moment. I'm just telling you, honestly, I think it would be really cool (laughs) if we don't get to finish this message. I mean, I think it'd be really cool. We're like, and then the rapture And then the trumpet happens i mean just like that would be like i mean like that would be like a dream come true so i just want to tell you but it's always possible so here's where i am i mean for like the next 24 hours i'm just going to be on edge a little bit i just like i'll walk out the doors back there and i'll look up at the clouds and go how about that one you know like that like meet you in the cloud how about that you know like let's go there and I i just i'll just be that way because i just know that now again if it doesn't happen you know within the next 24 hours I'll be fine as well, because I, but I know that his timing is good, but it's right for me to orient my life there. So we think about the Feast of Trumpets, and, and so we're supposed to be you know, using this to kind of help us in that anticipation. But then let's go beyond that. So Feast of Trumpets is tomorrow, uh, really now, actually, on the Jewish calendar, but then we go ahead to the Day of Atonement, which is next Wednesday. It is uh, a feast that is known as Yom Kippur, which is literally Day of Atonement, And I would put to you that it really is a feast that is a picture of Jesus' specific second coming. So in the rapture, we're gonna meet Jesus in the clouds. But at the end of the tribulation, Jesus comes back. And he comes back to the end of the tribulation, and he he writes the world, he enters into the millennium, he he begins changing, fixing things, and over that thousand years, he rules and reigns, fulfilling everything that that's gonna be. And at the end of the millennium, we get a new heavens and new earth. I would say in a very simple way, all of that is encompassed in the Day of Atonement, that we are celebrating the moment that He comes to, to, to fix this broken world, not just for us, but for everybody. It's incredibly good news, incredibly good news. So if you're going to read that, you you got the, bio, the bookmark there in your bulletin. You'll see that Yom Kippur is next Wednesday, uh, and, and if we're there, you, you get a chance to read that and be a part of that. Well, that will take us to the week after that, which is the the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. Um, It's ultimately a feast that's one of my favorites just because it's the most joyful of the feasts. Uh, It's a feast where it's looking back. It's a feast that's looking back from heaven. Uh, In the Feast of Tabernacles, the idea is that they tried to remember what it was like back in the days where they lived in tents. And the Bible says that you and I, our bodies are like tents now. And so here's the deal if Jesus, you know, whenever this happens, there's a day coming when you and I are going to be in heaven, and someday we're just going to sit there, and, and maybe we'll sit down over some kind of heavenly cup of coffee with a piece of chocolate, because they're going to be there in heaven, um, and, and, and you and I will have a conversation, and, and maybe it'll be on the Feast of Tabernacles, and I'll we'll say, so what do you remember? What are you so glad you don't have to go through any longer? And maybe for some of you, it's going to be like allergies, I am so glad you know I don't have allergy. I mean just is heaven I, I, we, when we lived in those tents, it was so hard there was it was it was a hard space, I mean we had pain and we had and cancer and 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 fear and pain, and we'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's I remember that's what we used to be. we no longer are, so it's a really fun feast to get a part of and, and celebrate, but just to recognize that day's coming, so for you and I, we get to look at all of these and just with an anticipation say that's the future. That's what's coming. And that's what we're meant to understand. So I've given you a bunch of little details and and not enough. I know some of you are like, hey, tell us more uh, about some of the technical things. Well, there's much more you could go to, but I want to bring it back to simplicity and say, hey, for some of you, you understand these things and you're thinking it through and lots of pieces are coming to head in your brain right now. That's great. Somebody else sitting there like, Jim, these things always confuse me. It just always confuses me. I mean, I try to, okay, rapture, and coming, and okay, and now we get to go up and come down, and how does that, and, and you're like trying to remember, I just wanna say, okay, here's the main thing. In the most simple way, I want to tell you what I long for you to do is just to be eagerly waiting for him that what he is prescribing for us is to be those who are eagerly waiting for him. Now, again, that's what it tells us there in chapter 9. It says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. But interestingly enough, this phrase is actually used throughout the New Testament. It would tell us in Romans 8 you know, that we are to eagerly wait for this. We're to eagerly wait with perseverance. It would tell us in Galatians 5 that we eagerly wait for that hope. We are so eagerly waiting for that. One of my favorites in Philippians where it says for our citizenship is in heaven. Like that's really re- where we really belong and we are eagerly waiting for the savior. Like we're just eagerly waiting. It would tell us in 1 Corinthians 1 that we eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord. Now, he uses it a lot of other places, too. It tells us we are those who love this. We love his appearing. Uh, But I just really like that over and over, he just says it the exact same way. As if these two words are just meant to be so helpful. Eagerly wait. Eagerly wait for him. Eagerly wait. So let's explore that just for a few moments this morning. What would that look like? What would it look like if you this morning are in the right place with this. And that's honestly where we wanna go. And let's actually make an assumption that none of us are perfectly there. And I just wanna say that because it's probably true. There's probably not anybody in this room is like, nope, I'm exactly where I need to be in this whole deal. No, I often find it this way um, that as I pray through this and even as I come to the feast, it's like kind of positioning my heart and say, Lord, where I'm out of balance like where I'm off kilter a little bit let my heart be realigned with the big story let my be realigned with what you're doing so that I'm in that right space so it's worth just saying god am i today could you look and say that god would put over your head say that one's eagerly waiting for me that one's eagerly waiting let's just take those two words eager what does it mean to be eager well we could use a lot of definitions to that but let's just use a few biblical descriptions when god describes the kind of eagerness that's supposed to be about his coming. For starters, what it's not. It's not meant to be scoffing. Whatever eagerness is, if it has an opposite, it is probably scoffing, which is exactly what God warned would happen. He gives it to us this way in 2 Peter 3. He says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? So this is absolutely going to happen, absolutely going to happen. There's going to be people in the last days who are going to begin to be like, eh, I don't even, I don't know. People have been talking about this a long time. My grandma talked about it. My parents talked about it. Other people talk, I just and, and there becomes this attitude of scoffing that doesn't believe it's actually going to happen. Now, if that's you, if that's solidly you, I invite you there to the passage in Peter where he deals with it in greater detail and tell you to go read it and, and dive into that, that God would rescue you from that because I just want to tell you It's wrong. So I want to tell you it's a wrong space to be, and if that's really solidly where you are, then there's rescue for you there. But I also want to say this. I know I'm talking to some this morning. It's not like solidly where you are. It's just a little bit. I mean, you're not like a solid scoffer. You're just a little scoffer. You're like, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's like everybody's always talking about this thing. I, just, I don't even get excited any longer. There's something about just understanding God calling it out and saying, that's a bad thing. Like this, this is people who are not walking according to Christ, they're walking according to their flesh, according to their own lust that would produce this. And and if just calling that out would be helpful and saying, hey, if that's where you are, it's not okay. You want to come back from that. You want to say, okay, God, I don't, I'm not supposed to be a scoffer. I wherever there's scoffing in my heart, help it not to be there. But some aren't scoffing, some are actually procrastinating. Now that's not the best word to use. I was trying to think of a better word to use because we can't actually procrastinate it, but we can believe that it's not coming that soon. Jesus said it this way. He says, if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, then that master of the servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him. So Jesus warns. He says, there's going to be people who begin to think, 'Mm, I just don't think we're close. I I just think we, we probably still have a bunch of time uh, we, I mean, it's not going to happen anytime soon, and it's worth noting that both the danger that flows out of that that Jesus warns about, but again, I just like to call it out and say, if that's you this morning, Jesus says, that's evil. That's an evil servant. That, 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 that's something in there that an evil servant is saying in his heart, I don't really think it's going to happen soon. I don't really, I, don't, I really don't really believe that, and again, if that just helps to kind of say, okay, like, I didn't, if, if we to any extent that that's there in my life, I just need God to call it out and say, Lord, that's, that's not where I'm supposed to be, like, that's, that's what he says, we're the opposite of what we are, so what would eagerness look like? Well, it would look like an anticipation that really would even be a daily anticipation, that God is calling us. Again, nothing's standing between us and the rapture. It could happen any day. And so there is a space that we should always be ready, like thinking, okay, it it could be today. I talk to you guys about it every now and then. I like praying through the Lord's Prayer every day. I think it's a great example prayer to pray through, not just praying the words, but subject by subject. Uh, It's on the back of your bookmarks, a little explanation of that if you ever wanna do that. But if you do that, then you would every day come to a place that you would just be saying, today would be a good day, Jesus your kingdom come. I just want to say, if there's a vote, you know, if there's if there's like, I just want to say, I so want your kingdom to come. I, I, Lord, I'm, I'm longing for that day. I'm looking for that day. I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating your kingdom coming. I think about how it's even worded in 1 Corinthians 16. It just simply says, oh Lord, come. Uh, the Greek word that's used there is the word maranatha, and that's actually worked into our vocabulary now, where sometimes people just, maranatha, like, come Jesus, like we just want him to come. And actually that's how the Bible ends. The Bible ends in Revelation saying the spirit and the bride are just crying out, oh Lord, come. So there's something about this anticipation that if we are eager about it, that means every day we're like, it's, I'm ready. Lord, you, can, you could come today and I'd be excited. I mean, I just think that's a good space to be And So anticipation is meant to be an anticipation that's anticipating it, looking for it, longing for it, you know, even daily, Now, that is meant to be kind of encouraged by watching for it. When Jesus was describing this to us, he said it this way. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Be on the lookout. uh, Be aware of. And he goes through and describes uh, things that would mark his second coming. And he says, hey, when you see all these things begin to happen, look up because your redemption draws near So there is this anticipation that's meant to be motivated by what we're seeing. Now, we have no time to dive into this, and I know that that's going to disappoint a couple of you. Others are going to be really glad. Um, But there are so many things that are always there. I mean, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you look at the world, but there ought to be a sense that you look at the world and go, well, that is just interesting. Watching everything that's happening in Ukraine and Russia, and, and and even the connections between them and Iran, it's like, well, that's kind of, and you know, when you read Ezekiel, you're kind of like, well, that looks interesting. You know, that's a very provocative thing, and and you watch things that are happening in Israel, and you're like, well, that's, whoa, that that could, I could see how that plays out. I could see how this would work into the end. Uh, I think about everything that we've walked through in these last two years and, and this whole COVID thing and a lot of things behind that. But for many, it's like, I kind of feel like this is like a dress rehearsal. I mean, kind of feel like the whole world kind of, it's like, it's like, hey, maybe this is heading towards those end days. It might be. And it should be that we look at those kinds of things and and, and what we see is meant to kind of create that anticipation. So that we're thinking, oh, maybe that's it. But it's meant to be a healthy anticipation because he tell he's telling us, you don't know. You don't know when he's going to come. You, you don't actually know. You just should be watching. I say that because sometimes we get so excited about it, we just assume it's going to happen. I mean, I, I've been a believer for a while, and so... I can remember back in the 80s and 88 reasons why Jesus was going to come back in 1988, and then he didn't. And so there were 89 reasons why he was going to come back in 89, and, and then he didn't. And then, and then I remember Y2K, and they were like, it's going to happen in Y2K. Like, we're never going to make it through. It's going to be, it's going to be the end, and then it didn't happen. And then I remember 2012. and was like, well, this is going to be at the Mayan calendar, and it's the whole thing. And, and it didn't happen. And here's the kind of deal. I mean, I can look over history. I can imagine World War II, and I can imagine other spaces. And if I were living in those days, I'd be like, I think this is it. I think, I think we're like right there. Um, but I just want to tell you that's actually healthy. Because, you know, we're always supposed to be living with that kind of anticipation. And our, our ability to see is meant to help that increase. And if you're doing that, I just want to commend you and say, hey, that's a good thing. You are meant to be watching. You are meant to be kind of seeing that and that fuel this eagerness where you're like excited. But maybe we could just talk about that for a moment. So the word, he says, we are to be eagerly waiting for him. That's an excitement, right? I mean, you guys understand that. What, what are you eager about right now? Something else in your life that you're looking at something that's going to happen this year and you're eager for it you know, I don't know if it's the holidays, I don't know if it's Thanksgiving, I don't know if you're going to get to see family, I don't and so be you like, I just, I'm just looking forward to it, kind of eager, and if you understand eagerness, it has this, you know, kind of like, I'm excited about it, and I don't know what eagerness looks like in your life, but I'm just telling you, whatever it looks like, it should look more like that when we think about Jesus coming back. We should be eager, we should be like, yes! Like I want him to come today. Like I'm so excited about this. I just, I just want. I mean, I, I want to be this person. Is like I just believe it, and I'm excited, and, I, and I'm so looking forward to Jesus. That's what it's supposed to be. So he's telling us, "I want you to be eagerly waiting. I want you to have this anticipation." Now, one part about this eagerness, though, is it's a solid eagerness. It's one that we are absolutely confident in. Because if we understand our Bibles, it is not actually a question of if, it's just a question of when. He is coming. He is coming. We know he's coming. In fact, I like the way in chapter 6 of Hebrews, he says it this way. He says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. It's a really, really cool uh, thought, and there's actually a bunch of little nuggets in it But he says, you know, we have a hope, a hope of eternity, a hope of our salvation being completed, and that hope is Christ, because he's the one that died, and he's entered into God's presence, he's the anchor that holds our soul, and he says, we we have this anchor that holds us. And again, it has other ramifications to it, and I'm not robbing any of those, if this is a good verse in your life, please understand, that's probably true, but this certainly speaks of our hope of Jesus coming back. And so this actually works really practically for me. I mean, honestly, it's part of my life. Not daily, I don't always think it through this way, but I, several times a week, probably several times every week, I think it through this way. And if it helps one other person, I quickly share it with you. If it's really silly, just hang on and just say, Jim, you're silly. But, um, so I, I sometimes think in pictures, pictures help me. And so sometimes when I'm thinking about this, I'm talking about the Lord coming back, and I'm maybe praying for the Lord to come back. I will think this through, and I'll just begin imagining it. Well, imagine myself standing on, you know, kind of like a barge for you like Lord of the Rings kind of people, that kind of feel, you know, you're like, you're standing there on the barge and yet in front of me is a mist that I cannot see through. I I cannot see through, but on this barge, you know, I have it and there's a rope or a chain that is anchored. It is anchored through the mist into something that is solid, unmoving, and unchanging, and I know that's Jesus coming back and, and it's not, God's not changing his mind. He knows exactly when he's coming back. I just don't know it. So I'm just standing there. And sometimes I can almost just put my hand, if I can think about it that way, on that rope, or, and I can just feel how solid it is. Like, this is moving. This is solid. It cannot go away. I am moving closer to the shore. But then in my own kind of silliness, and again, this is my silliness, I just imagine myself just looking down for a moment and noticing we're moving. Like, you know, links of the chain or rope just moved. Just moved. It just, we just got a little bit closer. And guys, we just did. You are now closer to Jesus coming back than anybody in history has ever been. We just got closer. It, it's solid. It's not moving. It's not, it's not changing. And every second of every day, it's as if you could feel this rope and go, it just, you know, there's just more piling up here, but it's moving. We are solidly moving, and I don't know how much further it is through the, the mist that's in front of us, but I don't have any doubt that it's going to happen. I can feel it. I can feel the hope that I have in Christ. That has a picture of eagerness, that all of those become this picture where God says, I want you to feel it. I want you to be excited about Jesus coming back. I want To be eager, I want you to have this anticipation, and it's right that it should be. So, again, if you're not eager, there ought to be a sense that you would say, Okay, then I'm wrong, I'm not in a good place. God, help me to be more eager, help me to be more like this, because this is your prescription for us. But it's an eager waiting, it's not just eager, it's waiting. So, let's talk about waiting just for a moment. So, if we're supposed to be eager, that's good, I like being eager. Waiting's not my favorite part. Can I just like tell you right now, I, I, I'm, I just, I don't like waiting. You know, you know, I don't enjoy waiting in lines. I don't, it's just, it's just not my favorite part of any day. So some of you would understand where we are in that. And so even when I hear this, I know it's a part of it, but it's good for me to think it through because the Bible calls us to wait for Jesus' return. And part of that is certainly to be patient. Actually says it that way in James. James says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the, Lord. the coming of the Lord is at hand. I mean, be solid. It is coming. Be patient. Can we just kind of call it out? Again, it's just a helpful place to say if we're impatient, it's not a good thing. And it can happen. I mean, sometimes we can get where, like, Lord, come back now, like, already. Like, you know, I was weeding yesterday. I'm, you know, like, you know, today, like, come. And and we can get a little impatient. And there's something in that that just say, okay, God, that's not the right heart. Like, if I'm impatient, that's irritable, um, and and, and ultimately not a good space, I'm meant to be someone who is excited about Jesus' coming. But I'm also willing to be patient. I'm also willing to to, to be patient because here's what I know. What we already said a moment ago, I actually don't know when it's going to happen. I'm ignorant as to the exact timing of when Jesus is coming back. Jesus again said it. Of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. My father's the only one that knows. He says nobody knows. Nobody knows. There's not a pastor. There's not a prophecy teacher. Nobody knows. There's not an angel. Satan's an angel, by the way. He doesn't even know. I mean, nobody knows. God is the only one that knows. And so I have to be confident that I don't know. The kind of waiting, God, I don't know when this is going to happen. I mean, it might happen today. I mean, it's like the Feast of Trumpets, like right now. So like it could happen like right now. Or it might be a week from now. Or a year from now. Or 10 years from now. Hundred years from now. I mean, God's God, God. He knows what He's doing. We don't know, but I'm supposed to be able to say, God, I, I, I just, I recognize that. And to be able to do that is ultimately to have a trust in Him. To be able to say, okay, whatever this waiting is, this waiting is a trusting waiting, one that I trust God. So in Acts 1, the disciples are having this conversation with Jesus after His resurrection, and they're, you know, kind of asking Him, you know, Lord, is it now? Is it time? Is it time for you now to bring the kingdom back and restore Israel? I mean, is it time? And I love Jesus' answer. It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Like, you don't know. <laughs> Again, so he's already saying that, but I just want to highlight, that's God's. And it is solidly in his authority. And I hear that, and it rolls across my heart to say, I trust him. He's a God who's sovereign. I believe him. I mean, I believe he's gonna do it. I think about what Jesus told us when he was talking about it in John 14. He says, let your hearts not be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. He's like, I want you to believe it. I want you to believe that I'm gonna do this, but it's a belief that his timing is good, that his ways are good, that the way he's gonna do that is good, and that kind of waiting would do good for us. Now, as a part of that, when I think about biblically waiting, it is patient, it is trusting, it is you know, okay realizing I don't know, but I think there's also a meant to be a heart that is evangelistic in it. So Peter's explaining this in 2 Peter 3, i not going over the whole chapter, if you want to go back and read it later, he was talking about the scoffers who were saying, I don't think it's going to happen, and everybody's always talked about this, and he's saying it is going to happen, and then he just simply explains it this way, he says, the Lord is not slack, concerning his promise that is the promise of him coming back as some clout slackness but is long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance Some but God's not running late it's not like he kind of like lost track of time like oh, I meant to do that rapture thing I just yeah I keep forgetting you know um, he doesn't do that he's like he's not that way like every moment he's waiting he's waiting for more people to get saved And this is this revelation of the heart of God. And I kind of take it that if that's his heart, it should be mine as well. That I would say, God, I want you to come back. It would be great. Like that cloud right there. Let's go. Um, But if you wait, that means people are getting saved today. That means you're drawing people from around the world to you today. And I want that. I I, I, I am willing to wait as long as you're willing to wait. I know it's not going to last forever. But I do know this, that his heart is for souls to see people saved. And so I should have that heart. I mean, there should be a part that I'm so excited about him coming back, but I am willing to wait as long as it takes because I would love to see more people come to Christ. Can I turn this around and quickly just make an application? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you're one of the reasons we're still here. There's still time. I mean, we're still in the Feast of Trumpets today. It might happen today, but we're still here. And he still loves people. And and maybe it's because he's wanting to save you. Maybe you're one of those that he knows he's drawing to you. It's a good day to say, okay, thank you. <laughs> thank you for an opportunity to still believe upon Jesus, that I didn't miss it. And I want to tell you, that's the heart of God. It should be our heart. It should be kind of the part that just kind of helps us wait well. So waiting. It's patient. It's trusting God. It's recognizing we don't know. It's evangelistic. Maybe one other aspect of waiting that I think is helpful is that if we're really waiting, it's a waiting that is faithful. It is a way that draws us to this. So again, Jesus was explaining it, in one of the many times he talked about it. He talked about the evil servant that is saying in his heart, I don't think it's going to happen, and uh, just the bad things it would do. And then he says, but there's a good servant. There's a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. What, What makes this one a faithful servant? What makes him a good servant? Blessed is that servant, to whom his master, who, that, that servant to whom his master when he comes will find so doing. Faithfulness is, well, I'm doing what he told me to do. I'm about his business. I mean, waiting would ultimately mean that that's what I'm doing, that it would help me to say, God, I want to be about your business. See, an unhealthy expectation of Jesus coming back would cause you to be unfaithful. And it happens sometimes. Let's just be honest. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe you know somebody that did the equivalent of, you know, selling all their possessions and going and sitting up on top of a mountain and waiting. Like, okay, Jesus is coming back, so I'm going to wait for him to come back. And it's like, but what if he has more time? You're, just, you're wasting your time. If you believe Jesus is coming back, you would say, I want to be found doing whatever he, had, he made me to do whether that's raising my, chick, my kids in a godly way. Uh, I know people back in the 80s who uh, were wrestling about going to school, and they're like, why should I waste time going to college? Because Jesus is coming back, and I don't need a degree. And now they're like, I should have got the degree. Um, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you know, there is something that, that, that an improper waiting makes you unfaithful. Instead of saying, you know what, I, I would like to say, God, whatever you're wanting me to do, I'd be like to be found in the process. Uh, even if I never make it there, even if I'm you know, starting down a road and says, okay, you came back, but it's like, hey, you were doing what I asked you. To. You're living faithfully, and waiting is that kind of faithfulness. And so it's a healthy kind of anticipation that doesn't make us lazy. It doesn't remove us from life. Instead, it becomes an actual part of the life that we live. So put these things together, lots of different words that help us under, understand them, but I just want you to have, in the most simple way, those two words eagerly wait for him. Eagerly wait for him. I wonder where that defines you this morning. I wonder where you are in this, and I will say one more time, I don't think any of us would go, oh, I got that down perfectly. Right there. I am 100% where I am. I think most of us, were all together, our heart shifts. It moves back and forth. I, I'm excited. I lose excitement. And, and, and so what the, the Feast of Trumpets does and the Fall Feasts do, they give us an opportunity for us just to pause and say, got to light my heart into the big story, the big story of what you're doing in all eternity, the big story of of what's coming. I want to be found where you want me to be. I want to be today eagerly waiting for him. Because again, I put it back in the midst of the whole verse that you have there on on your page. Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. Apart from sin, for salvation. We are meant to be those who are eagerly waiting. So you can close your Bibles, notebooks, whatever it is you have open. And I want to give you a moment now, and I hope it's something that happens some now, but maybe through the rest of the day, maybe tomorrow. And if Jesus doesn't come back today, which I'm really hoping he comes back today, but if he doesn't come back today and we get, you know, the next couple weeks to think through the fall feasts, it's just a good place for you to pause every now and then and say, God, am I at the right place of this? Am, am, Am I geared towards believing These things are coming. Do I have a confidence? Do I have an expectation? Am I ready for that? And and to find yourself thinking, Lord, am I eagerly waiting? I mean, two words, eagerly waiting. And then just to allow God to help. I mean, he knows you, and he knows what he wants you to be, but there's not any one of you this morning that you can't get here. I mean, because this is his definition for a believer. And and so this isn't a personality thing. This is all of us are meant to be eagerly waiting for him. And so it's a good place for us just to ask him to do that. So let's take a moment and pray. Let me give you a quiet moment, uh, just wherever that is. Between you and the Lord, uh, that he would just talk to you and you would talk to him. And again, maybe you're going to present yourself to him and just say, God, let's fix some of this. Help my heart to get right, (laughs) to get right about these things. And, And just in these moments, allow him to do that. And if he gives us time, more. So you quietly talk to God. I'll do the same. And then we'll close in worship in just a moment. God today as we think about the biblical calendar it's good to just orient our life again in the big story your story I thank you for what you've done I thank you for the cross I thank you that you came Jesus in your first coming and undid sin once for all you paid the full sacrifice for us no words can describe what that is to us thank you Thank you that we're a part of a season right now that is the season of Pentecost, that is the season of harvest, that you are saving people. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. Thank you that we're a part of that. But God, as we head into these fall feasts, I just pause to orient my, my life and look ahead and say, God, I know this is coming. I know it's coming. I don't know when. But I know it's coming. I know, Jesus, you're coming back. I know we're going to meet you in the clouds. I know you're going to come and rule and reign. I know you're going to take us into a new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. And all the pain, sorrow, and suffering will only be memories. So God, I look forward to those right now, knowing that they're coming, believing in this big story of that which is true. And Lord, we've seen your word this morning that we understand that you want us to be those who eagerly anticipate that, who eagerly wait for that. Look on us right now, our hearts, and where we're not doing that, where we're not eager, or we're not waiting, we're not patient, help. Take our hearts and just shape them so that we could have this eager waiting for your return this eager waiting, believing it's coming. Help our hearts to be right where they're wrong. Just God, lovingly help us to overcome. Bring us to where you have us to be. And I know it's because of your prescription, your word, we can get there. So help. Bring us to that. And with great joy, I just am looking forward to it. That Jesus, you are coming again to receive us to yourself. And I want to just say, Maranatha, Lord, come. I want to say in the words of Revelation 22, as you tell us the spirit and the bride, the church, are crying out, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We look for you. We long for you. We ask for it with anticipation. And just pray for a wholeness in that. Help. Meet us in that now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He is certainly coming. May God meet you. I mean, we still got time. I mean, it could happen before we're done here. So I mean, I hope it still does. This would be a great space uh, that he would come back. But I do want to say this. He hasn't yet. And it could be you that doesn't know him right now. And honestly, we love you. We want you to come to Christ. And He is. we're still here for people to get saved. And so if that's you and you haven't yet surrendered to Jesus, if even this morning you're aware that you're not ready for this, Hey, come up after the service. Let us just talk to you more about Jesus, about the the sufficiency of the cross, about what he would do to rescue you from your sin. We'd love to be a part of that. We invite you to Christ even this day as we long that he would do that more. Well, with that anticipation for his coming, why don't you guys stand? We're gonna sing a song that's new for us. We haven't started singing it yet, but in anticipation of his coming back, long that God would meet us. But in this, I just wanna bless you in his name. The Lord bless you